Welcome to the Cycle Systems Academy podcast. Now, Sean's been very busy uh, teaching students who are, are like sponges for his, for his knowledge over the summer. Uh, but one really important thing happened at the start of September, end of August, and that's the Eurobike show where we get a glimpse of what we're going to see in, in 2016. Uh, we see what trends are going to happen. And Sean, I mean, a, a while ago we did a bit about uh, discs on road bikes, and uh, although we were fairly negative about it, we did say that once the big players started to, to work through the problems, uh, it would be an inevitable trend. And, and that certainly come to fruition. You can move for Disworld bikes at Friedrichshafen this year. Yeah, it's certainly, um, it's come in, you know, sort of once it or not, it is come in and we're starting to see the disc brakes um, on bikes in the peloton. It's been quite interesting because there's been some videos knocking around on various sites with professional riders and also with mechanics talking about it. And they seem as cynical as us, which is always nice to see. Um, the big one is that if you get a flat tyre, the mechanic currently has to jump out with a, a new bike. We, yeah. we can't just change a wheel because it's taken too long to, to swap it out and get the disc aligned with the caliper. So while I'd expect some sort of through axle technology is going to make the alignment a lot easier, obviously swapping out a wheel with a through axle does take longer than with a quick release. So unless there's any massive 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 performance performance advantages that the pros are going to get from using the disc brakes it may be that this considerable disadvantage will be enough to swing it um in terms of the safety you know there haven't been any big crashes involving hundreds of red hot rotors yet so we don't know so for me it's like yep yeah, shimano seem to be doing you know reasonably well in terms of developing the product is it needed? Still a big question. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly how I feel. I've, I've gotten quite a lot of flack from people on social media and when I've been chatting to them, you know, via email, uh, because, you know, they've got disc brakes and they love them. And I think for nearly every application, disc brakes now are at a stage where I'd be, I'd be happy to embrace them. I mean, my next bike, which will be a, a sort of, you know, a fat old bloke's touring bike, will more than likely have Shimano hydraulic discs in it. But for the, the professional racing peloton, I still have questions. I mean, people might say I, I swap wheels between, you know, my two bikes and there's no difficulty at all. But compared to a caliper, caliper brake, you know, a, a traditional caliper brake, um, the tolerances are so so much tighter that the chances of getting a, a seamless swap between bikes is difficult, which is why they're, they're swapping the whole bike. Um, and purely from an aesthetic point of view, if you look at things like the, you know, the SRAM hoods, they're so ugly that, you know, a road racing bike should be a, a simplistic thing of beauty. And it just isn't. So, you know, from a technical point of view, yeah, they might work. But from a road racing point of view, I've still got questions. I mean, the other thing that, that springs to my mind is uh, people are saying, you know, oh, but the, you know, they'll be able to stop much quicker, which may very well be true. But I was saying to Scott the other day that professionals will, by their very nature, try and push the limits. And if they can break later, you know, they'll break later. So any crashes might actually be at a higher speed. So I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm way against them in the professional peloton. I think it's just still driven by marketing needs rather than uh, racing necessity. Yeah, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see what the teams say, because obviously they're sponsored by by the companies that want this to happen. Um, so almost looks like a done deal at the moment. I'll tell you one thing, though. I mean, if you look at... Um... If you look at discs in the peloton, one thing I think they will drive forward, which will please you, is the adoption of tubeless clinchers. 
because you know if you're going to have a real pain in the arse changing wheels then going to a tubeless system might be good. And one thing I saw, uh, you know, coming out of the Eurobike posts that I thought would make you very happy was the the Schwalbe one tubeless tire. Yeah, it's uh, it looks awesome. I've had some on back order for my for my own self um, since the summer when they started hitting the you know the sites, and I was told by. Uh, Schwalbe's importer that they'd be available um, just after Eurobike mm-hmm. so I'm waiting for my 28mm um, one road tubeless and they look like a really fascinating tyre, very very high performance race tyre, very low rolling resistance but what's really fascinating is that the um, professionals that have been using it actually had a special 30mm um, version made for Paris-Roubaix and the whole team zero flats Harry Roubaix and I mean the other thing that struck me is um, you know people are used to using high pressure compressors and stuff to make tubeless tyres I've read a few reviews of this tyre and it seems to go on fine with just a track pump it yeah will vary from rim to rim you know in terms of how it hooks up you know some um, you know rims like say you, your Campagnolo or your Fulcrum two way fit rims they're so tight certainly possible but if you've done a stands conversion on a rim that's really designed to take inner tubes, then you may still need the compressor. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, our, our stance and discs might get us accused of being Luddites, but I, I think the world that it's granny is going to be in tubeless technology within two or three years. Well, as I say, I, I personally really like it, and I know team mechanics across the uh, globe will be rejoicing and not having to uh, spend their whole lives gluing on tubs. It's a very sort of long-winded process, and it just might be a, a technology that's largely seen its day. What I don't think we'll see is a replacement for tubular wheels on climbing stages because they are so much lighter because you haven't got to have any sort of a clinching part on the rim. So we'll, we'll always see tubs used in racing. But for those of us who ride recreational or, or race without sponsorship and team cars, etc., these sort of tyres are going to be um, really fantastic because some of the nicest tyres I've got I hardly ride purely because they are race day. I mean, the uh, Vittoria Open Corsa tyres that I have, they're beautiful, beautiful tyres, but they are a full-on race tyre. And I'm going to use them. I've got the Paul Lock Hill Climb. I've entered the Paul Lock Hill Climb, which should mm-hmm. be a left. My um, only ambition is not to come last. Good luck with no that, I- I've got no idea if I can manage that one. But I'll break out the Open Corsas for that. But that's it. That's the only time I'd ride them. Whereas these Cheval Bay one tubeless, they'd be perfectly good enough for a race like that, probably in the 23C variant. And they're fine just for your your general sportive and, and even training all through the summer. Yeah, I mean, beautiful tyres. And, and once you get used to used to the, the convenience of not puncturing, as you say, for the pros, there will always be tubulars. But for, for the normal person, um, tubeless is, is a great way forward. Now, yeah. talking about tyres... If you're a retailer, you've got this real dilemma going on just now about whether you stock 26, uh, 650, 29er tyres for MTBs. And and now we've got another one. I mean, we're, we're going to have tyres as big as your house by the end of the thing. There's 29 plus all over the place at the show. Yep, uh, 29 plus and also 27 plus. So the, the 27 plus, uh, we've gone from 650B to it being marketed as 27.5 and, and that was too wordy. So they're just saying 27 now. So 27 plus is essentially a very fat um, 650B tyre. And again, the um, you know, that the marketing 
spin goes into overdrive one of the articles is saying well yeah what we've got is 27 plus everyone gets it most people haven't even heard of it mate mm-hmm. obviously the guys in the press room get it and i can see a lot of um real benefits for it as a, a tire size i'm not against the engineering i'm not against the use of it at all but um I stayed with someone recently who was, I think, second in command of one of the big mobile phone companies, mm-hmm. and he was saying three products. You have a, a middle product, which is for most people. You have a top-end product, which is for the people who are afraid of being left behind, so they want it all singing and dancing. And you have a more budget product for people on a budget. Mm-hmm. Any more than that, you're just going to confuse the market. You're going to lose sales. You know, absolute basic golden rule. Well. You know, look at the mountain bike world. I've got a chap studying with us at the moment from a specialised concept store, Nottingham. And he's like, it is putting people off buying mountain bikes because they come in and you've got the, the cross-country race, the trail, the enduro, the downhill, the all-mountain, and then all these different wheel sizes. And they're afraid to buy, not because they don't understand it. Uh, you know, consumers and like our listeners, as we know from Twitter, are very knowledgeable. They follow the trends. They understand it. They know bikes. But they're afraid of being left behind by the product they buy into this year is all of a sudden old hat by next year. And they can't get the forks. They can't get the um, the tires or, you know, even frames to fit. I mean, a 29er, which was the next big thing just a few years ago, you know, is really dropping out. And the next big thing becomes an becomes the next big thing before the old next big thing has really got to well i suppose is really showing itself on the trails yeah I mean, most absolutely because you're looking at a lot of money now for even a, a kind of mid-range mountain bike and yeah. if you you know if you're somebody who's you know playing with a ragged edge of your disposable income to buy your recreate you know the thing that you love your bike that you're going to keep for a number of years and you now have a choice of wheel sizes and a very real chance that, you know, the tyres for the size you chose might become unavailable or, you know, if you need a new set of forks. I think it's actually just confusing the market. I've talked to I've talked to people where, it, as you say, it's actually discouraging sales because they're not confident in what's going to be there in, in two or three years when this will still be their number one bike. Yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the majority of bikes you're seeing on the trails at the moment are still 26-inch wheel bikes and um, 29ers if you're hanging out with the racer guys who obviously are going to have the more up-to-date kit and that's the fastest wheel size it just is so um, there's been a few sort of attempts you know not to go too crazy so say the 27 plus size the idea is is that works with 29er forks you know for example mm-hmm. but we do have companies such as fox who are all about optimal performance and they of course have their own 27 plus forks as well as the 29er the 27.5 and still the, the 26. Yeah, now moving on, uh, because we want to keep this kind of brief and tight, we'll go into more depth in, in some of these areas in future shows, I would think. Um, I, I don't know if anybody who listens to any of our podcasts is aware, but I, I was in, in China recently <laughs> and I was there two years ago and, you know, as you'd expect in China, bikes were, were everywhere. People were pedalling with, you know, all sorts of goods. Um, it was their main form of transport. Going back this time, the thing I noticed is that a lot of these bikes had been converted to e-bikes, either, you know, as new bikes um, or, you know, as, as bolting on a motor to an old bike. I saw a lot of bikes without so much as, as pedals fitted to the cranks. You know, they've been converted entirely to an e-bike. 
And that's a trend that we see reflected at Eurobike. I mean, when we went in 2009, um, you know, there, there was the e-bike uh, hall in the actual Zeppelin Hall outside the main showrooms. Uh, but this time, everybody and their granny's got an e-bike and in really quite technical mountain bikes as well as, you know, utility and city bikes. So this seems to be a trend that's going way beyond, you know, a niche. It's actually a major part of what people are, are showing off at the show. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got the Shimano Steps um, crank drive motor, the whole Shimano Steps e-bike group set. I think we've mentioned it before, but you know when Shimano get on board with a major product that um, is really going to be a big part of the sector. Really fascinating to see inside it. You'd expect to have the, the same reliability and you know good functionality that Shimano always have. And then at the other end, as you say, there's... Um, quite a lot of fairly relatively cheap um, Chinese sets that quite a few people are buying now on the internet and, and wanting mechanics or bike shops to convert. Mm -hmm. So there's quite, and even they're not that bad from, from what people have been saying to me, they're, they're not that bad at all. But um, the mountain bike side of it, you've basically got little motocross bikes now. You've got these sort of super capable downhill bikes with up to an 850 watt motor. Yeah. some of the German ones and for those of us who you know have been part of the whole trail access side of mountain biking you know I certainly think I'm feeling a bit concerned because when these bikes start really tearing up the trails which obviously they will do it might end up with all mountain bikers being banned because how would you police the difference so there's a concern there even though it's an ace product I, I suppose for me they look like a fun toy it looks like a an electric mountain bike looks like a fun toy. The kid in me would love to have a go and have a rip round. It's just like I, I quite enjoy going out a quad world down the road and going on the pro circuit. It's great fun. But, you know, to be honest, I'd quite happily live without it. And um, for me, you know, I'm a bit concerned just in terms of um, the impact it will have on the mountain bike world. What's really exciting in terms of the e-bikes is as, as well the sort of general day-to-day -day bikes they no longer look like something that would make you an object of ridicule you've got absolutely incredible looking e-bikes the specialized turbo which is it, i suppose it's an a you know it's, it's an off-road but it's, it's more of a hybrid like an electronic hybrid so you could use it for commuting and such around town and it's just a brilliant brilliant looking bike and there's a lot of them now of that caliber and look where you can you know, use this as a very very stylish way to get around town you've still got some horrific looking e-bikes out there and i suppose beauty's in the eye of the beholder but you've still got something that looks like some sort of vacuum cleaner with wheels you know <laughs> on there with some awful suspension fork which just shouldn't even be on because it's so bad um, but what i've noticed living in in devon in south devon which is very very hilly but i mentioned that the e-bikes are very popular for people who just wouldn't be able to cycle here normally and there's even a few community e-bike schemes where you can loan them you know for six months at a time mm -hmm. so that makes it affordable as well because not everyone's got a few grands you know to splash out so prices are coming down especially for the conversion kits but i see e-bikes as a really um, wonderful way to increase the amount of people who are able to to cycle especially in hilly and rural areas I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, I share the concerns about, um, you know, the, the effect on trails. 
um, because you know you and I date, were old enough to date back to the time when you you know you discouraged people from skidding because it broke up the trail and created a drainage path and and all that sort of thing. I don't think it's going to go away though. I mean, one thing that really really surprised me as I was in, you know, visiting my, my ex-colleagues at the, the delivery office in Peebles. And one of them who's formerly been a really keen uh, trials rider on motorbikes, um, you know, was asking me about, you know, the best e-bike because he's really into that. Um, and he's moving away from his, his petrol-driven bike to, to a mountain bike for, for recreation. So, you know, a niche that I'd in, entirely disregarded, it, it kind of crept up on me with an ordinary member of the public being aware of it and, and wanting to get into it. So, you know, I think that's going to happen. But for the urban thing, I can see endless numbers of cities, um, you know, would really, really benefit from people embracing the e-bike. You know, it takes away the sweaty, horrible bit, which a lot of people regard as the problem with cycling, and creates so much more space. You know, the number of people moving around in, in Beijing where I was on e-bikes, and it was still a very easy place to get about on foot, um, is, you know, it, it, it's it's a wonderful glimpse of the future. So I really hope that people embrace the e-bike technology for urban bikes. If you want to break into the bike trade, train your staff, or even learn some new skills just for fun, Cycle Systems Academy has a course for you. Our graduates come to us from all over the globe and train with us to gain the highest recognised cycle mechanic qualifications available. The bike industry supports and believes in Cycle Systems Academy, which means they'll believe in you too. But you know, enough of the sensible stuff. Let, let's talk about the, the really important stuff, and that's time trial bikes. Um, I'm, I'm actually really upset because the one thing that's happening with time trial bikes, which I, I always used to love watching the variety of uh, technologies and design, which you know were, were shown at the shows as they all look pretty much the same now. You know, it's 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 the dropped seat stays. Uh, it's it's as big a front end as you can possibly manage in terms of surface area. Um, you know, it, it's the formula seems to have been found. So although it's fast, and I like it for that, I, I, I was a bit bored with them this year. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I was sort of a bit worried about what I was going to say about the TT bikes, really, because there, there isn't a lot to say. They found a winning formula. They can push the envelope more in the triathlon world because it's not bound by UCI rules. But basically, you know, there isn't that much that's that exciting. Um, what's really interesting, you know, from a, a mechanical point of view is the different ways the companies are integrating the stems and the headsets and making the front end very sleek. While it looks great on a TT bike, as we've seen with the new look, I think it was the 797, 757, mm. you know the one I mean, it. I think it looks pretty terrible on a standard road bike. But um, one thing we are going to start seeing on the time trial bikes, as well as all these new group sets, you know, which we started seeing at Eurobike. Yeah, that is exciting. I mean, they're, <coughs> they're really coming of age, I think, the, the electronic group sets. And also the, the rotor hydraulic group set. Mm-hmm. So um, those of you with a sort of memory of, you know, sort of longer than six months anyway will remember... Arcos, a small German company, came up with this hydraulic mountain bike group set. They were bought by Megura, and Megura are supplying the hydraulics to Rotor for this hydraulic group set. So the electronic group sets work so well, I'm not quite sure if this is going to take off or not. Um, certainly going to go down as a, a Rotor training day. I'm down here quite soon that I'm certainly going to go to, along with Mike Jenner. 
and we look forward to speaking to Martin Pounder from Rotor and, and being taught how to set it up and bleed it. But obviously, something like that can work very well on a, a time trial bike or an aero road bike where the cable routing is very torturous. But to be honest, as I say, the electronic group sets are so good and require so little maintenance. I'm not sure if uh, this is really going to take off in the market. No, I mean, it, it's something where, you know, put out of your mind any idea of, like, big, thick brake hose all over the place. It's a very small diameter hose. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's quite elegant for a hydraulic group set. But you're right, mm. it, it seems to me like it's a product looking for a place in the market. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, Shimano DI2 just works. Uh, the wireless stuff from SRAM, although I'm, I'm not a big fan of SRAM, seems to have a really nice kind of paradigm for the shifting, with each side being up or down with uh, both of them for, you know, front shifts. Oh, I don't um, like that. You know, well, I, I, I think if you're coming to it without the kind of muscle memory that we've got through, you know, decades of using Shimano or whatever, and yeah, it's, it's not a bad idea. But for hydraulic um, ones, I'm, I'm not sure people will go for it. Mm. I think... You know, famously, I said that DI2 was a fad that was just a kind of loss leader to show what they could do, um, <laughs> and, and was proven to be a complete idiot with that. But we, you know, we we can't stifle innovation. I mean, I remember was it Shimano had an idea for a, a pressurised air group set in the nineties. Yeah. Um. So you know, seeing innovation is good, and if it drives nothing else, then you know, it worked. But let's throw it out and try something else that's worth doing. And we've yeah. seen actually a lot of that. The Eurobike Awards, which are usually you know completely mental where you walk into the hall and there's all this weird stuff that you're never going to see in the future. Um, it gave us a glimpse of technology as well with um, you know, 3D printing of bike frames. And I, you know, 3D printing of, of components, I think, we'll see all over the place as 3D printers become more available. So innovation's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone you know, did win a Eurobike award. Um, it's the, the bulk, as it's called, well known for a bike, because um, he managed to produce the world's most ugly bike frame. So. It's horrible. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you see um, the Canyon Speedmax, they've got the, the, the tri-legal version. Um, they had 3D printing for, I think, their drink system. And the ability to do really quick run, um, you know, very, very cheap prototyping, Although it's you know it yields ugly bike frames, I think it will yield uh, really fast development of components as that technology develops. So, you know, I, I think although it's ugly, we've got to see the award was probably worth it because it's it's a decent bit of innovation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you say, it's um, it's very much something we're going to see more and more of. Now we're we're sitting here kind of twenty minutes in, so I'm going to pin you down. What's your your favourite product that you saw in all the coverage of the show? Followed by one tubeless tyres, of course. Yeah, that's um, a surprise, eh? Yeah, no, I, I really like those. Really great to see the, um, you know, the Shimano e-bike motor. Um, really interested in, in what's happening in the road bike world in terms of we're seeing the one bike group sets. I mean, obviously you see the new mountain bikes. Very few have even got a front mech on now, but we're seeing road bikes, time time trial bikes, etc. Just with these one bike group sets, just like, uh, you know, my first 24-inch road bike back in the early 80s yeah but you know not with five gears at the back so you know that's really great to see and also it's fascinating to see the development of the cyclocross bike and the, the gravel bike as it were all of these different options it's like you have a a specialist bike for every teeny minute niche and it is something where you just got to be careful that you are buying the right bike for your needs 
you know, mm-hmm. if if you just read online that the uh, the Cannondale gravel, you know, sort of uh, gravel bike, slate gravel bike with a, a one by eleven group set was the the coolest new thing. You went out and bought it. You know, you may find that for the riding you do, it's absolutely, um, you know, not going to be suitable. So there's a massive amount of options there. Um, but again, you just got to be careful. You buying the right thing. I think you're right. I mean, but what that does mean is that if you have a, a bike in your head, the chances that you're finding it now are higher than they've ever been. You know, the, the, the gravel bikes are a really good indication. You know, you, you could buy one of them quite happily ride gravel roads, dirt tracks, uh, or put on a faster tyre. And although it won't be as good as a fast bike, you know, it, it might do the job for you. So, yeah, I mean, the, the diversity is really good. Uh, my favourite thing was actually the, the UVX electronic sunglasses. Uh, where there's a button on the side, it's a wee USB charger as well, and they go from dark to light at the touch of a button. So as you go through trees, you can pretend you're Zaphod Beeblebrox. (laughs) They're awesome. Yeah, I didn't see those. That just sounded like fun. Yeah, well, we'll be back back very soon with a a full edition of the Cycle Systems Academy podcast. Uh, Sean, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, We are at Cycle Systems Act on Twitter forward slash cycle systems act on facebook and cycle systems.co.uk 